Welcome to Being Human this week. Delighted to say my guest is Jamie Cato. Jamie is a creative catalyst um, with interest in music and writing and creativity. Uh, just, uh, a, a, you know, a fascinating fascinating individual for me to research and uh it was wonderful to read your book so I'm, I'm so glad to have you here today jamie welcome thanks for having me okay well should we start with with the book um i mean that was my introduction to you it was referenced uh, in a book that another guest wrote about uh um achieving creativity in her workplace so insanely gifted would you like to Take our listeners back to the to the genesis of of writing that book and and a bit about the message of that. Insanely that gifted. Insanely gifted uh, is really trying to sort of make the point that it's our insanities, our eccentricities, our uniquenesses, our quirks, our our flavour that is what people fall in love with, both as artists and as people, and in, in intimacy. And we've done such a great job because of the pain of our childhood, so painful being laughed at or being rejected or being told off. Um, so, so, so painful. We've forgotten quite how painful it is. And we built our whole lives around never feeling those things again and never being however we were when we were told off. So we made this huge editing process and edited away, sanded down this kind of vanilla shop window, don't want to trigger anyone, don't want to make any trouble, just want to make an easy way through this as, you know, version of ourselves and sacrifice the, the amount of babies that went out with the bathwater and all the decisions people made this isn't me this isn't me not safe to sing not safe to dance not safe to write not safe to even stand up in front of the other humans um you know people have to buy a three dvd box set just on public speaking i mean that's that that really is an incredible symptom of how fucked up we are as far as i feel you know and um so i'm all about because we did that as small children, we've built those edits and those, that's not me, that's not me, and that part of me can't be seen, and people must never, you know. That that process that we went through doing that was very, very young, and yet we've lived religiously by it ever since and built these edges, these map edges we've made of ourselves up to be phantoms, and anytime anyone pulls us over there, we fight those people, complain about those people, run to Facebook, run to the fridge. Yet we were so, so young when we made those decisions. And we've, my job is uh, enjoying inviting people to come and snorkel around that edge without going into deep, excruciating, punching a pillow for mummy, the deep water of sort of, you know, catharsis. It doesn't have to go there. Just a, the tiniest sniff around the edge. We realized that these dragons we've put around the edge of our map going, don't go here, don't go there, don't, go, don't be this, don't be that. Um, are actually little child's chalk drawings of dragons, really. And if you just take a, a, even the smallest quarter turn towards them, just whoosh, they blow away. And the amount of treasure that you can reclaim all those babies you threw out with the bathwater, many of them. And this isn't a zero to a hundred thing. Like people may choose to keep huge wings and parts of their landscape edited off and maybe even for good reason. But the amount that you could claim back between everything and nothing there is a treasure trove, both of creativity, of personal potential, just sort of feeling good, feeling like you're in the driving seat. You can, you can, you know, comfort with chaos, which life is full of change. Um, the amount that it, the knock-on effect, and the intimate relationships in your life, because by doing that, you're bringing about 
more of yourself. So you're showing more of yourself. So people around you feel more permission to show more of themselves. So all the intimacy and connection we want in our lives goes through the roof. I mean, there's just every reason to do it. And um, it's called insanely gifted because, you know, we are all a bit crazy. <laughs> you know, we are all mad. And, you know, you, you, you look very groomed. I just sort of put a shirt on. You look, you look very neat and tidy. But if the people in your life could hear the internal dialogue that went on in your mind on a daily basis, can you imagine? I mean, your cover would be totally... Right, exactly. Uh, but what's... I suppose the, the, what's so interesting here is that the, uh, this resonates so much with my own experience in terms of where I've sourced myself, um, especially around becoming um, more intimate with others, more stable as a human being, um, more expressive, is is to touch into those parts of me that hold pain. And, and there's this great quote in your, your book, you say, uh, I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, uh, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. Uh, and that was from a, a rear mountain. Um, that's in the, in the book, in, Insanely Gifted. And I don't think that's a message you hear so often that, um, that the source of so much of, of, of our productivity is touching into our pain. That, that's, or sitting with our pain. Mm. We are born into a culture which is so comfort addicted that we get a headache, take a pill. And yet half of life or a lot of life is pain or edgy. And so in this quest to cherry pick only the nice bits, the dirty dishes that build up become such an accumulation by the time you hit 35, 45, that everyone has either a breakdown, a divorce, a bankruptcy, um, an illness or something you know nobody survives that accumulation unless they've been doing some qigong and doing some sort of you know allowing the body to process and the body processes by feeling edgy feelings that's how it flushes out the accumulation of all the tears you couldn't cry all the rage you couldn't scream all the injustices all the terrors and the anxieties that you didn't express which is a lot and me too and all of us it all remnants it all compresses into the body what Eckhart Tolle calls the pain body and the, this huge lump of unprocessed, concentrated, emotional, reactive gunk that lives in us, which is the source of all our overreactivity, it's the reason why we're anxiously jumping from pillar to post to try and not feel this and try and not feel that and not let them, you know, protect other people from them not feeling this and them not feeling that. It's just like a circus. And really, that's the opposite of what we need to do, which is become a willing participant in the incredible body's mending, healing, flushing out system, which is basically using edgy feelings to shit out through the solar plexus, through the chest, through the throat, all the past. That's the emotional plumbing system. What some people call chakras, I think, are the seven spiritual anuses through which the body cleans itself emotionally all the time. It's always trying to, but because it uses edgy feelings to do it, you have to kind of feel it on the way out. And we're allergic to feeling anything edgy. Everyone is constantly corking that incredibly important plumbing system. And that's the greatest problem of our age. It's the cause of all war. It's the cause of all fuck-ups in a relationship because it creates a pressure of overreaction and over-importance. Corking, corking, corking. So my, you know, what I'm doing in, in my work and all the workshops you know, are fundamentally about turning towards not corking and then reaping the incredible harvest and treasure. I mean, there's, a, there's an immense payoff for doing this. This isn't just I'm doing my good spiritual work. I mean, this is like instant lottery-winning amazingness in your life just by even starting the uncorking process. Even just being willing to feel some of your tender 
sensitive feelings. For many people listening, it's like an alien idea. I just want to feel comfortable. Why would I want to feel uncomfortable? But actually, in the uncomfortable, there's all these illuminations. There's all this incredible data for your soul's curriculum of how life is trying to sort of mirror to you, where you're stuck, where you're free. There's all kinds of intimacies because when you share those bits, when you're in those bits, other people feel safe to be in their bits around you. And then you have a much deeper sense of connection and relationship in all areas of your life. Your creativity goes through the roof because it's those kind of fodder. It's that kind of edge that makes you want to write it down and communicate it to people. Your compassion for other people going through this kind of shit goes through the roof. Your appreciation for people like carers and nurses goes mad. I mean, it's just a nonstop banquet, <laughs> but we've, we've phantomized it into this mustn't go there. It's just mad. But it's not a free banquet, right? We have to, we have to pay through pe- feeling pain, and that's not a ma- message people necessarily. I wouldn't want to even hear. go so. Far. I mean, yes, pain, but let, let's park pain for a minute. Let's just put a bit edgy first, mm. because you know what? Pain is actually much more manageable than we've been seduced to believe. Pain, because we're constantly resisting it, is a lot of suffering. Because you've got the pain, so you've got one problem. Then you've got no, no, no. I mustn't feel this resistance, clenching up, blocking, avoiding, whatever. Second problem, put those two problems together, you've got suffering. But if you have pain, and instead of, no, 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 I mustn't feel this, you have curiosity, you go, oh, that feels a bit funny. Where's that? Solar plexus. All right, I'm just going to oh, breathe with that one again. All right in there? You know, just sort of kind, not making a big deal of it, not, I need a session with someone to get rid of this. You know, just like, oh, hello, me. Just a way of part of yourself expressing part of the spectrum of life. And then it passes because it's just part of the body's genius way of recalibrating some energy or shifting some out. And then you've been with yourself. And that is, is being a willing participant. It's a, you, you say there's a payoff, but actually pain without resistance isn't that painful most of the time. It's actually mm. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I suppose I've been slightly, I mean, I, I, would I find it yeah, interesting? Although I, some of the deeper work I've done, I would describe as, I mean, it, it's heavy work sometimes. I mean, it's exhausting. And, and yeah, there's definitely relief away. on the other side. Absolutely. Trauma release work can be like seriously like but the moment when you're catharting it out is actually as beautiful as it is painful and i would agree with that yeah so it's like it's not it's not when you say you have to pay for it i don't know it just again it doesn't it doesn't resonate for me anyway and i've had some shitty times but it's most been the time when i was trying not to feel it right okay yeah yeah so i maybe well what's the what's the I can, I can see what you're saying here. It's not paying feel, feels like it's, uh, it's sort of arduous or something. I mean, and there is effort or effort or there is energy that for me that gets dissipated in, te- in taking it on, but it's, um, yeah, it's part of that can be beautiful. Okay. Well, I'll let you yeah. filter it. however you, however you want, you know, <laughs> no, but um, I think I, it's interesting I, to I'm play with well. And we're very wary of people ever looking at their, this kind of stuff as worthy or, or specifically um, there's a danger in, because we live also in a culture which um, deifies suffering, literally deifies suffering. <laughs> I'm not even saying that as a metaphor. Um, we use suffering as one of the great currencies. We think the more we suffer, the more people should love and appreciate us and care for us and we even play down what a good time we're having so that people won't reject us i mean the su- you know suffering is worthy in our culture um and it's easy to slip into the trap when we do this stuff of 
looking at the heavy things that have happened to us or the deep processing we're doing as some sort of badge of honor, some sort of specialness pass. And I just want to sort of really swerve away from that because everybody tells me a story in all the workshops I do, all the clients I see, um, people I meet, they tell me this story. And of course, it's like, oh, it was terrible. Your mom, da, 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 whatever happened when you were a child repeatedly, you know. And yet no one is exempt. There are very few people that didn't have some sort of full-on experience of some kind. It's a, it's a, they're the minority. So it's kind of dramatic, but it's also banal. And I'm in the, also like really working with um, encouraging people to look at it as banal. Uh, even though it was heavy for you, it wasn't like the great wrong thing that happened to me in the universe that was my particular, oh, fuck off with that. You know what I mean? That's just totally taking it all in the wrong direction. And we're really, we're really trained to milk it. So it takes real consciousness to not, to not exaggerate, to not ever, talk, you know, to not milk it, yeah, to not, to not prostitute it, to make us have it, wear it as a badge of honor. And um, so I, I'm very, very wary of that. It can become another way to not be authentic. Um, Chogyam Rinpoche used to have the mantra, no big deal, the Tibetan teacher. Right, and I've definitely fallen into that trap is sort of allowing it to inflate my ego. Well, I'm, I'm special because I've done this work. Everyone I've taken does. it on and, you know, I, I definitely... Got, got a, those, are the, those are the CCTV cameras I train people to turn on. So you're never bullshitting yourself or hopefully other people. You're, if you're going to start boasting or you're going to start milking, you're not unaware. You're not just automatically going into it because it's a social way to get currency that moment or to get through a moment or just to do small talk or you just don't do that constant unaware chattering puppet on a string reality you're actually awake to it you turn on the tv channel that's in parallel to your ego melodrama and go wow that was an overreaction wasn't it or wow i'm fantasizing about that again that's come back into my head 12 times today what do i what's the deeper need under that what am i really wanting here what am i trying to tell myself you know you're constantly noticing the melodrama as the curriculum for knowing the route to the deeper feelings underneath because every time you're behaving like a twat underneath your behavior there is actually a legitimate need you're just going about getting what you want in an immature way most of the time but the thing of wanting the thing you want is totally legitimate it comes out maybe as neediness or it comes out as stress and control or strategy but but the thing that you want which is to be loved or which is to connect or to feel safe financially or whatever you're working that day is legitimate so for me it's like notice the immature way I'm going about things but also find the deeper need underneath that it's actually trying to do and meet it in a healthy way don't skip that part mm. use it mm. as data it's a signpost to self-care every time you're behaving like a twat it's really if you're awake to it a signpost towards a way you need to self-care I love that yeah that makes sense you've used the, the word curriculum a couple of times you said earlier curriculum oh, you use the word twat <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Tell us, tell us more about twat. No, so what? Yeah, what do you mean by curriculum? Curriculum, curriculum. is in the model where it's it's it may be true, it may be not true, but you get a very much more positive, fruitful, groovy, and enjoyable life. Acting as if true or not, acting as if the whole of external reality is like a theme park of um, help. There's a theme park of things which are trying to mirror to you trying to show to you, trying to talk to you, trying to send you through a curriculum of noticing the kinds of things we've been talking about in this conversation. And when you notice those things, one tends to be less governed by them. Hmm. The puppet on a string reactive melodrama of life doesn't become the front and center thing going all the time. It's there, 
but only once and I hope not and this and all the voices in the head and the demons the chattering monkeys and the victim and the critic and like that it's all still kind of going on but it doesn't become truth it's, there's another you now that's awake that's watching you're like going fucking hell that is a circus I'm driving around my own bus of special needs characters in the back my own little fucking cast of one flew over the cuckoo's nest that is why they used to have decision making power they used to be in charge of what I said what I emailed which way I went and it is for most people when you wake up to not giving them decision making power they're all still there they suddenly become mirrors they suddenly become like it's a bit naff to say it teachers don't fucking shoot shoot me with a dolphin but um, the watching of that neurosis and all those different characters playing out in your brain the constant stream of thinking and protecting and strategizing that we call head fuck fm that's always on so loud that we begin to think that's who we are um that suddenly becomes not the driver of your life um and but it does become the illuminator the spotlight on all the ways you're stuck or wounded and it becomes the body's genius way of healing itself by showing you all that all the time and you being sweet about it. And, and so are you saying that to, to think about it as a curriculum, take some of the drama away and it's just about, oh, okay, this is what's next for me on my curriculum to work on? Is it something like that? It's that. It takes away the resistance that creates all the... I mean, you don't go, la da da it was meant to be. You still feel the pain of it while knowing that there's some use here. This is a training. I'm getting some I'm getting some training here. I'm getting some empathy here. I'm getting some illumination here. I'm getting some resilience training here. I'm getting to show myself that wow, I survived that motherfucking thing. That would have if someone had told me that that was coming, if someone had told me that my wife was going to leave me for the postman, I would have thought I would have dropped down dead. But wow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like so much mm -hmm. of what goes on when it, especially when it's bad, people are so scared of having bad karma because they're so used to being punished in school and criticized that they look at the bad things that happen to them as I am unaligned. It's God's scorecard showing me that I'm not being a spiritual enough person. It's not. A lot of the shit things that happen are adversity training. They're like, it's like, it's training you to be resilient and have empathy for other people that are suffering and notice how it, it hurts more because of your childhood and get to love your inner child a bit more or some of the crazy characters in the head. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits from turning towards this stuff. And you don't have to go deep scuba and can traumatize yourself. You know, you can snorkel around the edge and still get tons of treasure. I'm just encouraging right. people to snorkel around the edge. Go deep scuba when you're ready. But don't think that it's like nothing or deep scuba. There's just like so much unbelievable low-hanging fruit just sniffing around the edge of it. Okay. And, and when did you first start snorkeling then? Is it, do you pinpoint it to a moment where you started to, to, to realize the place? The mixture of having late teens suddenly being bedraggled uh, in panic attacks and being like sort of almost like taken out of the game, immobilized by unbelievable floods of cortisol and adrenaline going through my body, seemingly with no trigger at a certain time of day. Or it's like, what is going on? They didn't even really have the word panic attacks in the 80s or whatever it was um and um yeah so that and a mixture of certain friends you make especially when you become I, I, uh, my i had a very close friend that died i started a band started getting in my early 20s into sort of listening to ramdas and doing going to wacky naked yoga classes and made a veil <laughs> and um and that's where it all began. Yeah, no, and it's always just like, as I'm an artist, I'm an artistic kind of diversely inspired person. I love a lot of things. You know, I love old Russian literature, but I fucking love futuristic 
science fiction literature. I love the best of everything. You know, I love really brilliantly done anything, even heavy metal, if it's amazing. Like, you know, it's brilliant. The top 3% of everything is amazing. Um, and um, I don't know why I was talking about why I love well, it. Yeah, no, so yeah. I just, I've, snorkeled, I've snorkeled around it because so many different aspects of different ways people have explored their spirituality or their wounding have been so lyrically, poetically, heartfully, vulnerably, inspiringly expressed through books, through art, through music, through just spiritual people expounding. There's so much richness in it um, that it's been a very pleasurable way to try and survive the intensity of being a human right for me and you mentioned ram ram das a lot in the book and and i read his book be here now about 10 years ago and got a, a lot from it there's a wonderful scene in that book where he talks about um a, a family being with their kids and they they're screaming and they don't want to go to the supermarket and they've got this plan to go to the supermarket but the parents just stop uh stay with the kids forget the supermarket run we're just going to be with our kids now and that for me sort of summed up the message just be with what's happening now you know be with the pain be with the suffering and uh, you don't not everything has to be uh driven by by a plan all the time um so was there something in his message that um that that started to resonate was was that where you first got got turned on to it you certainly know people you can trust if you're connected to all to your belly or your intuition you know you certainly you know you can be hoodwinked also be totally like left blindsided but I don't know, I like to think that when I first heard his voice, I just felt an incredible amount of trust because the way that he was expressing his lectures, which were little cassette tapes that we'd lie on our back at the end of yoga and listen to, um, he, um, he's so funny and he's so unbusy being spiritual. He's not talking from the top down. He's talking about what a mess he is essentially and using himself as the case study and all his melodrama hilariously as a way for us all to laugh at our own melodrama and wake up to the part that can even notice our melodrama rather than just be in it all day and identified with it. When there's a part of you watching your melodrama, it doesn't get rid of the melodrama, but it makes the whole thing much funnier, much more willing to, to feel the, the bop on the head when it comes occasionally. I noticed the thing recently, it was just a really nice aha moment I had this week, um, that I've been being spiked in the last six months by a few things that have been bothering me, things to do with you know, running a workshop business, things to do with my body, things to do with intimacy, you know, think just sort of the headline, different bits of life. And I was just feeling into it this week. Why, what is the common denominator going through these things that keep spiking me? Um, and I realized what I came to was it's because I'm resisting. I'm, I've got to change my relationship with my notion of change and decay. I'm almost living as if I think things shouldn't change and things shouldn't rot and break and, and leave and go and die. You know what I mean? It's like when something goes wrong with a car, it's like, oh, no. And it's like, well, why? Oh, no. It's a car. It's going to have things going wrong with it, like every car. Why imagine, like some naive child, that something's wrong when something goes wrong, when really this is, if you live in a reality where things die, things break, unexpected money comes in, unexpected money goes out. Oh, my God, we didn't pay for this. We've got to pay 500 quid for that. You know, like everyone has shit like that in their life. <laughs> To live, to, to get spiked by it is kind of imagining I have to live in a life where that shit doesn't happen. And that's not realistic. So just like we, I think we're all, because I'm saying it's about me as the case study. I love how Ramdas uses himself as the case study. So I might be teaching this week and bring in this thing of how comfortable are we all with change? How much do we struggle and constantly strive through our life to keep it all stable and exactly how we want it? 
um, like I've been catching mice in my house this week. And I realized that, you know, <laughs> that you can get flustered about having mice in your house or you can experience it as a big adventure. There's a lovely okay. novel by Patrick Suskin, who wrote that brilliant book, Perfume. If you haven't read the novel Perfume, oh, no. it's turned mm. so many people are reading. It, it's amazing. But anyway, he wrote this novella about a pigeon and a janitor, a pigeon in his bathroom, and he goes to work that day, and he just cannot. It's just disrupted his whole day. He's wired all day, nervous, because he's got this pigeon in his, in his bathroom. Okay. So for you, the, so maybe the, the mice is part of your curriculum. The mice is like, how are you going to meet it? You're going to have mice. Can you, are you going to meet it like, oh, no, we've got disgusting, you know, whatever, or, oh, or freak out, or um, do we have, you know, or I wonder if we can catch them all without killing them. Uh, okay, let's go on Amazon and see what you have to buy to do that. Um, <laughs> then I've had this thing where the first one got caught really easily. They go across this tube and then it hits a pressure pad between them and the bait and it just shuts the door behind them, bing, drive them three miles away. Then... The second one, who's a bigger mouse, he comes over the pressure pad, or he's just skipped over it, or he's got some kung fu rice paper, if you could walk on the rice paper without leaving footprints, kind of ninja thing going on. It's just, he's fucking taking the peanut butter and bread out the trap, gaily swanning off. Uh, I'm like, uh, what? The second time I catch him doing it, he, he drops it and runs. The third time he's done it, I wake up in the morning, there's everything gone from the trap, uh, and, and not a crumb. So I think to myself, I go out to the front drive and I take a few pebbles and I put them on the pressure pad. So now it's on a hair trigger. It's like, it's, and I leave it there and I go to work. I gloat to Facebook that I'm going to be, there's going to be a mouse in that trap on this wonderful group. You should all join called the museum of tiny failures. Um, and sure enough, I caught it. And through doing the pebble technique, I've caught another three in the last 24 hours. So I'm having a great, fun. it's man versus mouse and the kids are all enjoying it. And, uh, you know, you let them go into the meadow. I, well, I was thinking of releasing them into Tesco's meat department because, you know, unorganic meat is the, the, this, the most despicable and the most important pressure, importance of our age is not global warming. It's factory farming. There's a daily holocaust going on all around us, 185 stadium-sized factory farms just in Britain. Can you imagine 185 stadium-sized factory farms just in Britain? This is a holocaust going on of millions and millions of sentient feeling creatures every day going through a hell that you can't imagine um that's the big issue of our day but just like people can't they're, they're participating every time you get a chicken something at the cafe if it doesn't say organic in great big capital green letters on it it lived and died in horrific suffering and torture and everyone is participating in it uh, that that really is the big age of our um you know thing of our day getting into tune with waking up to not just turning a blind eye to that seems like it's extraordinary how, how it's, how it's even going on to me. So I was thinking of leaving the mice uh, in the meat section of, um, well, I was just thinking it'd be a very easy way to shut down the supermarket chains. If you wanted to hold them to corporate espionage, corporate um, war and just say, look, you're still fucking propping up Morrison's, Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco's. You're still making the factory farm. You are the factory farm industry. It's all going through your shops. If you don't sort that out, 
you're just going to keep releasing diseased vermin into your shops and closing down your shops into health hazards. Yeah, but we're, we're I all, thinking, yeah. I, I, can, I can see that. That may be a way to target them. But aren't we all, we're all complicit in it, aren't we? I mean, it's, is it, is it well, right to pick one part it's of the different there's complicity and complicity the five portals of tesco sainsbury's waitrose morrison's or whatever the other one is the five portals that all that shit is coming through if the five fucking heads of those companies decided that factory farm should end it would end and yes they have to take a hit just like financially they had to take a hit at the end of slavery yes Mm. when you ended slavery there were some slave owners and plantations that had to lose some money sorry yes you had it good for a bit you had it good for a long fucking time the shareholders will survive you can still fucking make a great PR thing that we're now treating all our animals beautifully and it's now this, that. You don't have to end the meat industry, although I would. You can end the factory farming industry. Right. And do you, and I, I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't feel qualified to get into that, that debate right now. But do you think the, your empathy for, for the state of these animals, is that, has that increased through the work that you've done? Is yeah, it, or is this, is this something that you've always had, do you think? I've become more upset, about it, more moved. Have you got any pets? Uh, no pets. We do have ducks that come into the garden who are somewhat tame, but no, no pets. Okay, <laughs> if you can get near one, prod it with a pin, if you're in any doubt that it's a sentient feeling creature. Right, well, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not in any, any, any doubt. Um, I just, I'm just, I just see that as a, as definitely I've, I'm not, um, I'm, I still occasionally eat meat, but I've certainly found that the more work I've done on myself, the less, uh, the less of a meat eater I've, I, I've become. And I've had phases of being vegan. I'm not so. talking about you eating a meat, some meeting sometimes, meat sometimes. I'm saying you're living in a country where there's 185 stadium sized holocausts going on every day. Right, you know, I, I, it's not I just about stopping eating meat. It's about standing back and looking at the culture. You're a, you're a, a um, influencer. Right. Yeah. No, I, no, I get it. I, you're I, I, in a country which has got a holocaust going on around it of feeling creatures that are screaming in agony and terror all the time and being sort of not even killed before they're put through the mincer. Yeah, and uh, I, I, doesn't I that, get it. Doesn't, isn't that strange? It's not just a bit odd if you when you stand back at it if you hadn't looked at it before. <laughs> Yes, I mean, yes, it's 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 definitely odd, um, but it's you know it's not something I really thought through a position on. It's just, but I get I'm not I'm not denying what the, the reality of what you're describing. Um, yeah, I was just uh, the the thing that I was interested in is is whether or not that links to what you're talking about in terms of the work and, and being. I was involved. just talking about what I was wanted to do with the mice. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like feeling a lot. I'm being really moved a lot. So if I feel like passionate about something or, and it could be just like a meme on, on someone's Instagram, do you know what I mean? Like something, something just gets it, you know, I'm loving how much I'm allowing things to move me, not be very British about it. Um, and it's vulnerable to show, because, you know, one has to be reserved or one is exiled as a child um, one shuts down one's ebullience, one's enthusiasm, one's passion, one's being seen to be vulnerably taken by something like a fool off with the fairies. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to look like you're being taken for a ride or you're a bit on one or whatever. Everyone's like keeping it kind of like reserved. 
Um, and it's wonderful to, uh, to allow less of that. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I can certainly feel in myself here that I, that's something I probably resist is just with abandon saying, you know, screw all the supermarkets or screw all, you know, screw this or no, screw, screw that. Them. Not screw them. Let's efficiently stop them. Not screw also, them. Yeah, but, 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 but still like have passion around some issue or topic or something. Um, I can, I can certainly see in myself that that's not something I find easy to engage mm. and get passionate about a, whatever it is, you know, either side of that debate. But, yeah. You've probably um, got a bodyguard in front of that door, I would imagine, not to diagnose you in front of your fans. But uh, <laughs> the things we have resistance to are different kind of bodyguards to somewhere that once, when we were the full spectrum of ourselves, felt safe, but something happened, you know, like we all had, stop showing off in front of your friends or too loud, too loud, or you're, oh, you've got such terrible timing, go and sit, sit at the back or whatever. Like, we all got taught to shut it down, don't you worry, you know. I'm just like... In- enjoying not living like that anymore because we made decisions to do that when we were five six seven years old and i just don't think the five six seven years year old should be writing the rule book that you and i live by right and i think to bring and yeah and that and that having that sense of abandon i'm just going to get passionate about this allow myself to to speak out about this or, or or take a stand about this particular topic i think um is a really is a really important part of creativity isn't it and it's even if we know it's fueled by our demons at some level, there's still something to be said for, for just going with it. It's all part of nature. It's all part of the human race, both the anger, both the healthily expressed anger and the unhealthily expressed anger. It's all part of it. The question is, is am I going to be awake even when I'm expressing it un- unhealthily? Am I going to notice myself doing it? And then afterwards go, oh, that, that didn't feel very good. Or, you know, am I going to have some consciousness around it, not beat myself up about it? It's not, again, a score. Am I going to be present enough to watch myself do it? Or is it just going to be the thing that is me that governs my life and I'll never wake up to it? Because you've got to remember, most of the human race are living in a sleep state of just being the latest yank left and right, like a puppet on the string from all the thoughts in their head and all the anxieties and strategies and fantasies. They're not there. It's just playing out like a pinball machine. Right. right. You only need to sit for three minutes. If I, if we were not going to do it now, probably in your show, but if you sat for three minutes and just decided like you had a clipboard, you were just going to watch the conveyor belt of thoughts, not stop them, not analyze them, not try and still the mind, not do any nostril breathing. Just observe what your mind thinks about all by itself. Your crazy mind will just start thinking if you sit quietly and watch it. And when it starts thinking, eventually one of the thoughts will hook you in and you'll go off on it. And you'll think that's you. But for the times when you could notice a thought come and go, that wasn't you. You're the watcher. You're not the thought. Yet we live all day as if that thing I thought and that thing I wanted and that thing I said and that I hoped or resisted is who we are. But if you can stand back and watch it, it's not who you are. It can't watch you. You're watching it. So you realize that that constant stream of thinking and doing uh, that you thought was you all day isn't you. That's an awake or sleep state that I'm talking about. To not notice that all of that thinking and wanting and hoping and da 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 internal conversations isn't you. To not be able to notice it happening is basically just living in prison all day. Sleep state prison, like cryogenically frozen. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the work I've done is, is absolutely a bit about 
noticing the thought, also noticing the feeling, the emotions, what's going on in the body. So noticing it all. For me, the thoughts in some senses are the most superficial element of what's going on for me and, mm-hmm. and what's there to be observed. Yeah. Um, and you, you've got this, um, this line in your book, I love it, you know, the more embodied someone is, the more trustworthy they feel. I, I, I love that. Could you talk more about that? Well, embodied for me means willing to feel the different sensations that go off in the body. Embodied means I felt that intuition in my belly. And I noticed I felt an intuition in my belly that that person feels dodgy and I'm not going to take the money. Um, or noticing when you're feeling heavy in the chest, oh, I'm feeling heavy in the chest. Am I, is there something really wrong or is my body, you know, just like, just you're noticing how you're feeling. You're not just running away from every uncomfortable feeling and quickly going to Facebook or the fridge or whatever when anything's edgy, just like in a total avoidance comfort addiction. That's a very heady space, trying to get away from all the body's feelings. So when someone is willing to feel their feelings, I trust them more. When someone is willing to be with their pain, like you said from the poem, not with it, without willing to fix it or fade it or, or change it, I can trust them. People who are like, oh, no, 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 don't be sad. It's okay. You know, trying to sweep it under the carpet or suppress it or avoid it. I don't trust those people because they're just basically running from every little ripple of discomfort. Right. And, and so this, yeah. And, and so some of the, a lot of what, I talk about in terms of working with businesses is, is trust-based cultures and how the higher level of trust you have within a business, the often the more productive, the more creative, um, uh, the more cost-effective in many times because you don't need so many control mechanisms. Um, and so for, so to link this idea of being embodied and trust was really interesting. And actually there's, there's value in all of us doing work to become more embodied, to become more trustworthy, um, to build, to help encourage trust-based cultures around us, in, in, I suppose in, in our lives in general. Yeah, is that a question? No, it was just a re- <laughs> just a, a, a reflection. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Is the question? What do I trust? I do trust the thing I was talking about, the theme, 3D theme park of soul curriculum. I choose to trust it. And I choose to trust my intuitions, that voice. Some people, you know, can call it the still small voice within, whatever. You know, when I notice something, like you're talking about the noticer, I like to act on what I see. I like to, like, not sweep it under the carpet doesn't mean suddenly go and get busy doing something but just to clock it and not bullshit myself meditation and spiritual path is really just a path of stopping bullshitting yourself Mm. i mean like we're all bullshitting ourselves (laughs) that we're not living on an island with 185 stadium-sized holocaust going on every day if you were suddenly given five seconds of each one every morning you saw five seconds of one, the other 185 times of all the different ones. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go on with your life letting that be like that. So you decide, as everyone does, including me until, you know, into my, way into my other life, decide to just bullshit ourselves that that's not happening. Right. Evolution, evolution is just stopping bullshitting ourselves, not just about 
the factory farms about our own rackets for manipulating getting what we want our own dishonesties our own racket our own shop window that we're trying to make people believe is the real us the things we're sweeping under the carpet and suppressing i mean there are plenty of things that we're not ready to go for yet but there's a difference between sweeping something under the carpet and saying actually i know that's there i'm not ready for that yet but i've clocked it big difference i'm not saying you have to face everything right now and no but just admit acknowledge it's there Right, and, and people pick up if I'm if I'm not bullshitting myself, or at least bullshitting myself less. People pick up on that. People, I think so. And I'm not, so if I'm if I'm not bullshitting myself, I'm less likely to bullshit you. Something like that. Yeah, perhaps. yeah. Because when somebody's going, no, no, it's okay. It's all meant to be. Or don't, don't, don't feel sad. It's okay. Where they are moving from isn't trustworthy. They're moving from fear and and suppression and, and escape. So I don't trust that. But when somebody isn't moving from there, you can feel it. You can kind of feel behind the words, behind the surface, where it's moving from. Steiner, Rudolf Steiner has a meditation where he says, when you listen to a baby crying or a dog barking, first just listen to the sound of the crying, the sound of the barking. And then he says, see if you can listen behind that sound to what was the impulse that threw that sound out? What was the energy, that, the impulse that became the sound of barking or became the crying? That's where something's moving from. And in the Grail legend, it was Parsifal who found the Holy Grail when all the knights, you know, King Arthur went, went off to find the, the Holy Grail. And he had to ask one question upon finding it. And that was, whom does the Grail serve? And that's the question of the whole story. Whom does the Grail serve? Or as Bob Dylan said, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're moving from somewhere. Either it'll be protecting your life, just trying to survive, trying to be Mr. Big, trying to be a big shot, trying to not look like an idiot. We're always moving from something. Is it protection? Is it creation? Is it and, and feeling where people are moving from is what I feel for me is whether I trust them or not. Where are they coming from? They could be doing, you know, you can give somebody a glass of water that, <clears throat> in a way that makes them feel really refreshed and you can give someone a glass of water in a way that makes them feel disempowered. Right. And, and actually the key to knowing what, what's most likely to be the thing that has them feel empowered is, is connecting into where they're, they're coming from. I'm saying that where I am when I give you the water is, will Im- embed the gift. Mm. If I'm trying to give you the water because I'm trying to be a stoic fucking good Samaritan and feel good about myself, I'm really, it's like the wheel of consent. Have you ever seen the Wheel of Consent or no, check, no, check it out? No. Explore it. It's a really powerful kind of system that a lot of people that I love are exploring at the moment. And it's, it, it breaks up in, I'm going to say it's the first time I've ever tried to say it, certainly in an interview, but basically it has giving and taking. So if I'm giving you a shoulder rub, you're the one being given to and I'm the one giving you the shoulder rub. But then they yeah. split they split it like this. They said, okay, here and here we've got giving and taking, but here and here we've got who's actually for like if I just love touching your body and you're letting me give you a shoulder up because I just love, you know, I just feel so good. You know, a lot of ravishment is allowing not that someone could be ravishing someone else, but it could be for the ravishment so that the receiver isn't actually the one in being given to that there's allowing and being done to um, mm. as well as giving and receiving. So often, you know, often when a mother, some son might allow his mother to keep doing his laundry not because he even really needs the laundry anymore but 
he doesn't want her to not have the thing where she gets to mother him by doing the laundry or something like that. Right. Yeah. There's, there's ways that you are given to where you're really, it's for them. It's for the giver and the person being done to or given to is allowing. So there's, there's the will of consent is the interplay between those four things, the person doing and being done to, but the person receiving and allowing are actually not all the same energy. And when you split them up, it's helped a lot of people with their healing, particularly around relationship issues. Right. And that reminds me of something, because I've done some work in 12-step groups, and part of that is making amends to people. And always mm -hmm. the question there is, you might write somebody a, a letter to say that you're sorry for something, but do you really want to send it? Because are you sending it for you so you could absolve some guilt, or are you sending it as a, as a gift to them? And that I, it sounds to me like that question. I think question, it's legitimate I mean, to send it you are. I just think it's legitimate to send it knowing you are. But like they say in the 12-step, not risk making things worse. So don't send it to someone where you're in doubt as to whether it might actually create more pain. So those ones you don't send. You play it safe. Mm. Yeah. I think no, it I... says in the 12-step, make amends to it as long as it doesn't make it worse. Or they've got some caveat line they put mm. in there without causing harm or making creating more stress. Or They've got some way they say it, I think. I don't yeah. know. Let's ask them. Yeah. And what, and what you just said actually um, relates to a similar idea, I think, but this idea of um, the space in between um, and listen, so listening in between the cries and listening and, and, that, and that being a portal, if you like, to potentially where something's coming from. Um, and you have yeah, an exercise in the book about, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, you feel it in the body just by listening to the space. It's just your, your body is already an expert at this. We just don't do it. But like no one needs to really learn how to do it. Just sit down and do it once and you realise you were always an expert and you totally know how to do it, to listen to the space between. And your yin will give you all the wisdom and all the truths about yourself that you ever need. Any question you have about your own life and what's right or wrong for your own life, just put your hands on your belly for five minutes and ask the question and just sit in space, just listening, curious, not trying to think it out, analyze, conclude, solve with your yang linear man. And just sit and be in the receptive listening yin. Everyone has that immediately. Everyone has the oracle of their own truth. Hmm. Whether they trust it or act on it, it's another matter, but everyone has it. Yeah. And we just don't have a, a culture that, Trust it. People are masculine, very patriarchal and masculine, and it's a very yin thing. Yeah. And do you see yeah, that as being something shifting? In? Sorry? Do you see that something that's shifting right now? I'm doing my very best to make it something that, you know, like my whole life is about trying to encourage the yin, the listening, the receptive, the space, the waiting, the responsive. You parent from your yin. A yang parent is like, put your shoes on, get a haircut. Be an accountant. A yin parent is listening. It's a listening exercise. You're the space around the child. And whatever you get from deeper listening to the child, you need. You can take your yang action and your doing and your choices only based on that listening first. So the yin always directs the yang. And it's the same in creativity. You hear a tune and then you write it down. You don't think up a tune. No one does. And when you're writing your best stuff that you're writing, you're not thinking up and then the dog. You know, you don't think it up. You hear it through. Uh, your yin when you're doing and when you're dancing your yin the beat is moving you you are being moved by the beat your passive your yin receptive i mean that's where all the treasure of life is sexually when you're yin when you're listening when you're responsive to whoever you're with every touch everything you do touch move just will all be level 
from your yin, from your listening to that person's smells, sounds, movements, energy, sexuality, you are guided by the other person by listening to the, to the other person. And then you have the most beautiful lovemaking of your life. So the yin is where all the treasure is. It's where all the healing is and everyone has it. Um, it's where all the creative genius is. And yet the yang, which does all the doing isn't linked to that root yet uh, in our culture. That's why it's called the patriarchy because the yang is like the masculine. It's not just men. It's just that linear thinking. The ego mind can solve it and get to the end and get to the next level and sweep it away and, Back, back the tennis ball and stay in control and make it how I want in, in my little area. You know, that's the the way people will operate right now and how the, the world is built. It's not built. When something goes wrong, people are taught to jump into action. But really the best thing you can do when something goes wrong is just stop, listen, feel, go into space, and then take some action. It's counterintuitive, but actually you'll do a lot more by not doing something for a moment. When you feel that big flare up and you want to swear at that person or reject them or, or sulk or storm off, wait, stop, feel inside. All right, come back to being an adult now. What do I, what do I really want to say to this person? It will be different than what you wanted to say 25 seconds ago. Stop, listen, feel. It's the answer to life. All right. End of all war. End of all factory farms. <laughs> well, we said factory farms so much in one interview, but I'm just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we that's part of your, your, your... I can't believe when we look back, we're going to be like, what the fuck? It's like medieval. They used to do what? Did you see that um, Simon Amstel uh, film, Carnage? No. It's set in the future. He's a wonderful comedian, writer, director, Simon Amstel. He wrote uh, this wonderful thing. It was on Channel 4 uh, called Carnage. I think maybe it wasn't Channel 4. And it, it was uh, it's set in the future of, of when we don't eat, when, it's, when they've sorted out the factory farm. You know, it's like they've evolved to the point where that. And they're doing therapy for all the people that still lived in the time when they did. And their kids going, what? You used to what? And they're all like traumatized and they're all going through these kind of group therapies of looking back on when there used to be factory farms. It's, it's kind of a comedy, but it's also like really hard hitting. Right. But I suppose my, my slight wariness. Yeah, no, going too far down that route is that we, we put it out there. Oh, the bad things that we do. It's the stuff that we do to the animals. It's not the stuff. Not we only, do. But that's just one yeah. big one. It is a big one, yeah. but there's also, um, a massive one. amount of abuse that we do in our own families, you know. Um, I'm not saying carry on doing that. I'm just saying the pressing problem is 12 million creatures dying and screaming in agony and murdered and chopped to bits and squashed under the thing. And daily, it's bigger than that. Yeah, I, I, stadium-sized on the small island of Britain. Okay, like, look, I get it, and it's and it's big, but I'm just not. It's happening as we're speaking now. If you turn on a microphone now in your room that had what is going on now, if you went to a live feed right now, we just tune in. It's happening as we're speaking. Right. And it, is it, was it Paul McCartney or Stella? Not, uh, if, they Stella glass you know, if, if they had glass wall, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd all be vegetarians. Yeah. It's turning yeah. a blind eye. That isn't, we just, we just have to turn a blind eye. It's too, it's too extreme. It's too unbelievable. 
yeah and we have to do i mean and i think that is part of the human experience is we do have to turn a blind eye to all sorts of things to get through the day right we have to or or on something this big i mean what do you do if it was if it was the nazi germany what would you do would we be having this conversation now well yes i know the terrible thing with the concentration camps but what can you do really you know if you speak out they will you'll get arrested and you'll lose your job and you'll be thought of as a enemy of the people and who wants to risk that you know and i actually really love ham and cheese sandwiches and i don't think i want to live without them just yet you know it's really fucked up i i i definitely agree with that um is there anything so i don't is there anything that one there, so there's one other thing I wanted to touch on actually, you know, maybe before we cheat, which I really love from your book, and that's this chakras. And as soon as I say it, I'm like, oh God, what a, you know, it's so loaded, it's so loaded, and, and it's associated yeah. with, you know, the, uh, yeah, the worst types in humanity often. And, but, but yet what I found myself doing and you talk about smiling into the audience into your organs and listening to your body and orientating your attention to different parts of the body as access to something and I've been playing with that somewhat since the book and what I and you you talk as well in the book about how the Christian monks shave this part of their scalp right as access to energy something and the Jews cover, and the Jews cover it right and and there's so it's obviously it's important in different spiritual traditions and and i found myself and i'm kind of cringing as i say this but i found myself playing with that and thinking okay where is my energy oriented right now is it is it my throat you know is it is it the top of my head is it my bed and and i've just found playing with that to have i've made a huge difference actually to who i'm being your brain is in your head, but your mind is your whole body. Yeah. And if you do that more and more, you'll learn to trust your belly. Yeah, you know, trust like, my belly. Really but also, lead you and also I found that what's interesting is, um, as I try and focus my attention more into, into a vertical orientation and, and, and my energy in that, in that way, I find that I have greater fluidity actually in speaking. So sometimes, sort of interestingly, where it may not be, a, it may not be the case that one should directly focus one's attention in the place where you think it should be. So if you're speaking, it may not be that the best place to orientate yourself and your energy is around is around your throat. Let's say, actually, it may be here because that's going to align me in a way that has me more more easily speak. Let's say. So I found that, and I'm I'm saying this right at the start of starting to play with this idea, but I, I really get a sense there's a lot of power in it. Mm. To not live all the way through your body. We, we have a practice that goes through all the workshops in the book called Full Body Listening. And the whole beginning part of the workshop is switching on your inner CCTV ca- camera system so that you've got a motion-sensitive camera throughout your whole body. And whenever you feel anything, you go first to the body, not to who just said that or did that. You always go internal before you go external. And that's the rule. Once you switch on that as your absolute modus operandi way of being, that when anything happens, you go internal before you go external, it turns your life from black and white into color. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I think that's, I think that's very, very powerful. Okay. Is there any, any 
part of the book that we haven't touched on we've been going for an hour is there anything you feel like you wanted to say and you haven't said just that whatever you're doing whatever practice you're doing whatever it's yoga or you know whatever whatever you're you're going to seminars or just any practice that you consider spiritual or work on yourself or that stuff whatever self-development thing you're doing of any kind always make sure that where that thing we were talking about where you're moving from is always kindness that you're always being kind and patient with yourself and not pushing yourself along and not letting your inner slave driver take over and ruin everything or your critic oh you haven't done any yoga this week don't use your self-development path to make yourself feel shit about yourself don't use going to something because i i need that i'm not good enough without it like as, a, as an affirmation of scarcity on yourself that you're somehow a problem that needs fixing you're perfectly imperfect of course we're all evolving but make sure that there's not some slave driving element to any of your self-development that it's always kind and patient and you have no more expectation of progress than you do of a two-year-old and and keep that front and center losing that you lose everything hmm. okay and the, the final question i like to ask my, uh, many of my guests is uh, for you jamie what does it mean to be human what it means to be human, like you, where my mind immediately goes when you ask me that, is this wonderful book by Dr. David Eagleman, who's a neuroscientist brain guy who wrote um, Incognito. And he says, the amazing thing about being a human is like, you know, we have this incredible brain, this incredible computer, this incredible body, all these senses, but we can actually become curious about ourselves and our own workings and our own how we are. He said, imagine if your own laptop could point its webcam lift up its, its keyboard and point its webcam at its own circuitry and start, you know, that's what you are in a very sophisticated way. And that is amazing. And uh, that's the beautiful definition of being a human. Thank you. So you have self-knowledge and you can be curious and hopefully kind. Thank you. All right. So for people who want more of, uh, of your work, and I know you, you run workshops, it's Jamie Cato, isn't it? C-A-T-T-O dot dot com. com. Uh, is that, am I right? That's the best place for people to go. Yeah. JamieCato.com forward slash. Yeah. Anything workshops or just JamieCato.com, but also Academy of the Sacred Fool.com is where we do the online if you're not near any of the places i'm teaching mostly around england but also amsterdam also copenhagen but if you're not anywhere near me um we do the 40 days and 40 nights in the maze of the sacred fool which is an online journey where all over people from all over the world join in with that so that's the academy of the sacred fool that's easy to find but yeah just facebook is usually where i'm every day sort of musing and expounding <laughs> whatever's going on nice catch thanks very much for having me thank you it's been awesome thank you the being human podcast was brought to you by first human for more on first humans human focused coaching and leadership programs head to firsthuman.com <laughs>